Good morning. Joining me now from somewhere near Heartland, Minnesota, is our good friend Al Bat. Hey, Al, how are you enjoying all the rain and the cool weather we've got? It's uh, getting a little soggy. It's uh, World Series weather, I guess, is kind of what we expect around this time of year. Boy, it makes it tough on some of the farmers. I know they were really going at it, but uh, they're good at what they do, so they'll find a way. I want to tell everybody, uh, State Farm Insurance does this thing every year where they produce an annual report on car crashes involving animals. It used to be just deer crashes, but now it says involving animals. And the worst place to drive if you want to... You know, if you want to go out and hit an animal, I guess go drive in West Virginia. That's where your chances are best, followed by Montana, which kind of surprised me a little bit, but maybe the high speeds have something to do with that. I'm not sure. Pennsylvania, South Dakota, and number five is Iowa. Those are the top five riskiest states. Iowa has so many roads. That's part of theirs. Where's Minnesota on that? You'd think Minnesota and Wisconsin would be right up there. Yep, Minnesota's number 10. So if you're driving around today, you you have a 1 in 64 odds of colliding with a deer. And I'm assuming that's over a year. Uh, Driving a whole year, you have 1 in 64 odds of not just a deer, but colliding with a deer or a dog or a cat or a raccoon or something out there. U.S. drivers as a whole have a 1 in 116 chance of hitting an animal while driving. And as we know here, those chances, uh, boy, they double during October, November, and December when that's the mating season for deer. If you want to avoid hitting an animal, you know, drive in the District of Columbia. Uh, Likelihood is 1 in 826, and Hawaii is 1 in 731. So those are the safest places to drive. I I bring this up every year. I just want everybody to be really cautious. We don't want to be reading about anybody in the newspaper with a terrible accident. So just we have to look. It's like when you drive by a school, you got to look for the kids, too, because they're up to other things. And this time of year, we have to look for the deer because they're not paying attention at all. And uh, it is too bad, but that's the way life is. Does that study include frogs? Because I I think during a certain part of September, I ran over uh, many, many, many frogs. I I think only if you would turn in an insurance claim, oh. probably. So, <laughs> nope. Yeah. Nope. No. So, you know, this does include elk and moose and a lot of things that we don't think of so much. When we think of hitting an animal, we think deer here. But sure. Uh, I talked to a friend, hit a raccoon, did $5,400 damage. Um, Somebody that hit a turkey uh, had an older car but had full coverage and said it pretty much totaled the car, this turkey. So it hit the grill, and I don't know what all it did. So you can do... It doesn't surprise anybody to find out that something costs a lot to repair because it's just the way things are. So uh, everybody be be really careful, cautious. I want to thank everybody at the Village 55 Senior Group in La Center and everybody at the New Alm uh, UCC Church for allowing me to speak to them. Uh, wonderful, wonderful people. Audubon has released a report called Survival by Degrees, 389 Bird Species on the Brink, 
And it is a detailed one that uh, you can find. I'm sure it'll be in the Audubon magazine. The Audubon scientists studied 604 North American bird species and found that 389 species are moderately or highly vulnerable to climate change. So uh, if you uh, if you get a chance, pick that up. It's uh, it's um, it's a good read. Uh, I thought I heard that Minnesota might lose the loon as its state bird because of the population changing. Yeah, it's, uh, the weather will change, and what we're going to become like Kansas, I Ugh. think is what I read. That was in something quite a while ago. And uh, when that'll happen, that's up for conjecture. But, yeah, it, it, all these things are certainly, if not a trumpet, it's a red flag that uh, we should be doing some different things. and. There was an upland sandpiper on October 13th at Casota Prairie. And October 13th, uh, that might not sound like much, but the species median fall departure date is August 24th. So this guy was way, way late. Teresa Willert of La Center saw a pair of red-headed woodpeckers. Pamela Freeman said she hasn't seen any juncos yet, but I expect they will arrive. In the meantime, the fox sparrows are busy kicking up leaves and looking for whatever it is they look for. Uh, with them are white-throated sparrows also doing their own flitting and kicking, though perhaps not quite as robustly. The ruddy, bulbous body of the fox sparrow. Oh, I bet the fox sparrow hates to hear you describe <laughs> one with a bulbous body, but... They are larger than other sparrows, uh, portly and colored towards russet than others of the kind. Uh, Pamela said, I also had a tiny charming visitor to my mostly dry garden, a small olive-colored thing who darted here and there looking for insects, I think. I think it may have been a ruby-crowned kinglet, but I didn't get a good look. It was very active and wouldn't stay still long enough or out in the open. And boy, Pamela, that's a perfect description of a ruby-crowned kinglet. They just, they flit. They flit their little wings just constantly. Uh, Ray Faber, who, uh, Dr. Ray Faber, is a professor of biology at St. Mary's University. He said in the late 70s, he took an ornithology class to a Mississippi River floodplain forest tract. Red-headed woodpeckers were numerous. I told the students to enjoy them while it lasted because the dead American elm tree carcasses would soon be gone, killed by Dutch elm disease. Seeing them was then uncommon for many years. Recently, I expressed the hope that red-headed woodpeckers would once again become more common, given that ash trees are being devastated by the emerald ash borer invasion. It appears worse to me than the Dutch elm disease episode. On Thursday, my ornithology class enjoyed marvelous weather while walking the trail to King's Bluff at Great River Bluff State Park. Red-headed woodpeckers were numerous. Many ash trees around the Winona area have been cut down after being killed by emerald ash borers due to safety concerns. That is unavoidable, but if you have an ash tree that doesn't endanger people or structure when it falls, it would be helpful to woodpeckers to let it stand. Red-headed woodpeckers will thank you. But, yeah, it, thanks, Ray, that's so true. Don't expect a thank you card, but I think just being able to see red-headed woodpeckers is a thank you. 
Uh, Ryan Shackleton said, I saw this hawk. I noticed there was more white than normal. I got my lens on it and saw the white head. It flew to the north and landed in trees at a house. And in flight, I saw it was definitely a juvenile because there was no red in the tail. The color at the end faded into white at the base, and its back was closer to gray than a typical red-tailed brown. Uh, boy, red tails come in so many plumages, and then there's craters, hawk that is very, very white. Uh, Brad Abendroth saw Ross's goose in Scott County at the New Prague sewage ponds, also cackling geese as many ducks. Uh, Doug Keezer saw a Eurasian collar dove, an American avocet, red-necked phalarope, red-eyed vireo, and a black-throated green warbler in Lesseur County, and a pileated woodpecker in Martin County. I'm not sure if I've seen a pileated woodpecker in Martin County. I must have, but I just I don't remember. And that's a Fairmont area, so I'm over there a lot, but I don't remember seeing one. I'll have to look up my records. Uh, Chad Hines saw a common nighthawk in Blue Earth County. Uh, Brian Smith, a house wren in Wattonwood County. Dave Bartke saw a greater white-fronted goose in Steele County. Andrew Longton, a solitary sandpiper and a broad-winged hawk in Nicollet County. Bob Williams, American avocet in Faribault County and a grasshopper sparrow in Steele County. Howard Toll, a snowy egret in Faribault County and a field sparrow in Martin County. Kim Eckert, Kim is from Duluth, but he was down burning Martin County and he saw a pine siskin there. So start looking for them. They're like little goldfinches only in striped pajamas. Uh, Jeff Stevenson saw a magnolia warbler in Martin County, so that would be a late, late warbler. Uh, Ron Erpelding, a black-throated green warbler in Martin County. And a, uh, a reminder again, the Nice Center is having their annual bash on November 5th. It'll be in Montgomery. And uh, Paul Douglas will be speaking. I bet it will be about meteorology. I'm just taking a wild stab there, but <laughs> Paul does a wonderful job on that. If you're interested, go to nicecenter.org, and you will find a plethora of information there. Um, great news for me, and I think uh, great news for kindergartners, uh, <laughs> many of them. A friend named Kelly Preheim of Armour, South Dakota, received the 2018 Presidential Award for Excellence in Math and Science Teaching. And she incorporates her passion for birding into the kindergarten classroom. Hmm. So she got to go to Washington, D.C. and get this award, and she has chuckled. And I remember birding with uh, Kelly, man, probably 10 years ago the first time. And just uh, what a wonderful teacher we uh, Teachers like that are just, uh, oh, you know, a lot of kids will be talking about that someday when we all think about our favorite teacher and his or her image gets in that cartoon bubble above our heads. And a lot of kids are going to be having Kelly in there. When they're growing up, that'll be their favorite teacher. Speaking of uh, favorite teachers, Rosa Parks had Mr. Hatlily, Jim Hatlily. A lot of people were, will recognize his name, and he was always the kid's favorite teacher. He was a fourth grade teacher, but he had uh, an old computer, gutted computer, you know, an old Apple, and in it he had this tarantula named Fangs, and it made him the coolest teacher ever, That the fact that he had a tarantula, 
And when Fangs died eventually after 20 years, he got a new one named Rosie. So kids always remember that teacher with the weird things or the cool things. And he used a computer for a kind of a terrarium kind of thing. That, that's it was cool, cool, yeah. I never would have thought of that, I guess. There's been mounting evidence of damage to loons, eagles, and other wildlife because of lead. So there's a number of environmental groups. The one that I'm most familiar with is the Ikes. I've been a member of the Isaac Walton League for a long time. And they're asking Minnesota, again, there's a number of environmental groups, are asking Minnesota to outlaw or limit the use of lead in fishing gear, birdshot, and rifle bullets. And it was last month, I believe, where they filed a petition with the Minnesota DNR, and it would require hunters to use steel, copper, or other non-toxic shot throughout the state. And it asked the DNR to ban lead jigs and fishing tackle from lakes that have nesting loons. Uh, Lead jigs and sinkers can poison loons when the birds scoop them up on lake bottoms while they're searching for pebbles to help them digest their food. Eagles can be poisoned when they eat gut piles left by hunters who shoot deer with lead shot and then dress them in the wild. Lead ammunition has been banned on federal wetlands since the early 1990s. Uh, duck and goose hunters are prohibited from using toxic shot across the United States, but Minnesota has never regulated the use of lead for taking other birds, small game, or deer nor has it regulated lead in fishing tackle. In 2015, the state released a study of more than 130 loons that had been found dead over the course of several years. Uh, Carol Henderson, the now retired leader of the DNR's non-game wildlife program, said that more than 11% of the loons had died of lead poisoning. And around that time, scientists published a paper of the peer-reviewed Journal of Wildlife Management which found lead tackle had killed more than 40% of all the loons found dead in New Hampshire. Uh, Loons are particularly vulnerable, again, because they eat those small pebbles almost exactly the same size as a common jig, and they do that to help grind up minnows and small fish in their gizzards. Uh, Julia Ponder, who is with the Raptor Center at the University of Minnesota, said North Dakota started testing venison donated by hunters to food pantries. They found lead in 6% of the meat samples. In addition, lead fragments often reach deer's guts, which remain behind after a hunter field dresses, and then it's eaten by eagles, hawks, and other scavengers. More than a quarter of all the injured eagles rescued and brought to the Raptor Center are sick or dying of lead poisoning. And um, I've taken some up there myself that have had lead poisoning. Uh, since 1991, Julia Ponder says more than 70% of all eagles had measurable amounts of lead in their body and that no amount of lead is normal in a biological system. Leah Ponder in the Raptor Center also sent me something is from Plymouth, Minnesota. It said an owl got an assist from some members of the Plymouth Police Department after it got caught in a soccer net. Oh, no. This happened to be the second Raptor Plymouth Police rescued that week. Uh, another bird was a hawk that was flying around with a cushion strap wrapped around its leg. Hmm. Police were able to cut off the strap and the hawk flew away. I guess of all the soccer goals, I don't know that I've heard of a bird having a 
problem with that before. So I, I guess I'm kind of surprised I haven't heard that that's been a problem for a bird because young red-tailed hawks or uh, Gail sent me, my wife Gail sent me a video of a young red-tailed hawk trying to mess with a porcelain rabbit and it would uh, hit it with its talons and then kind of take a step back and say, wow, you know, something should be happening here. I don't know why that rabbit isn't falling over or running or doing something. And it took quite a while for it to figure out maybe that was not a real rabbit, uh, but it looked very much like a rabbit. Would have fooled uh, most people, I think, looking at it from a distance anyway. And it just thought maybe that was uh, something to eat, and it, it wasn't. I got two wonderful questions here from folks, maybe three. How much sleep does a bird need? And the, the easy answer for that is each one needs just five minutes more. They're just like <laughs> us, aren't we? Oh, I need five minutes more sleep. Birds are able to sleep with one eye open, and the other closed. And studies have found that a bird can either sleep with both eyes closed and the brain asleep, or it can rest half its brain by keeping one eye shut. That way it can keep an eye out for predators. Holding half the brain at rest is called unihemispheric slow-wave sleep. You will not find that probably in a crossword puzzle. Uh, waterfowl excel at it. Ducks are great at doing that. Some bird species are capable of grabbing a few winks while they're flying. I watched a bird catch a quick nap while perched on a tree limb. And when the bird put weight on its feet, the muscles in the legs forced the tendons of the feet to tighten, keeping the foot closed. And this gave the bird a firm grip on the branch and eliminated the chance of it falling. Uh, boy, to answer your question, the amount of sleep needed is so variable. I'm not sure any human knows the, for certain. The second question was, why don't woodpeckers get concussions? We read every day in the paper and about concussions, the problem in sports. And woodpeckers, they hit trees like feathered jackhammers, and they don't wear safety helmets, yet you don't see any suet-laced with aspirin for sale. You'd think woodpeckers would suffer injuries, and they probably do, but not as we would hitting trees with our faces. If I tried to be a woodpecker, <laughs> I'd spend most of my time lying unconscious at the ground next to a tree. Being smaller helps, so a bird smaller size helps them. And a woodpecker has a shock absorber. It's a cerebrospinal fluid which suppresses vibration. It has an elastic beak and it has a dense but spongy skull that encloses a brain like a really good bike helmet. And woodpeckers have a bone that acts like a seat belt for a skull that allows them to hammer away at 15 miles per hour. Another built-in safety feature of the woodpecker is that upon impact, an inner eyelid, it's a nictitating membrane, closes over the eyes, holding them in place and protecting them from any flying debris. Uh, so they, they're just good. They, and do they ever get concussions? Science is studying that now and a little bit more. So maybe we'll find out that they do on occasion if they aren't uh, hammering the right way. 
somebody said they saw a, a good-sized flock of crows, and crows now are are starting to move to the cities. They'll be doing that a little bit more with a roost in once the winter gets here. They asked, how big is a roost of crows? Crows have been congregating in roosts in the fall and winter for as long as there have been crows. The roosts range from small roosts of 100 to spectacularly large roosts. A 1972 roost in Fort Cobb, Oklahoma, was estimated to hold over 2 million crows. Uh, Boy, I I can't even imagine that. I think there's one, it's in Illinois, maybe Danville, that was um, 100,000 crows. That that is just uh, remarkable in itself. But 2 million? I always thought it was called a murder of crows. When did they become a roost of crows, or does that mean when they're not flying around? Yep, that means when they're bedding down for the night, so to speak. So, yeah, murder of crows. And it's got to, I don't know who came up with murder of crows, but we have movies, murder of crows. We have books, murder of crows, magazine articles. So I think it's going to be murder of crows because they can't change all that. I'm sure there's a song, murder of crows, (laughs) probably more than one. So, yeah, it's going to be murder of crows from now on. Uh, It's got to be murder of crows. And there was an old thing where they talked about crows having trials, a misbehaving member of the flock, and they would uh, vote him down. He'd get a thumbs down like some great Roman emperor, and they would be murdered. And I, I don't believe that's true, but... That's how that came about anyway, I do believe. It's it's another great day to get outside and look at things. We're still seeing a lot of birds go through uh, heading south, and we'll see those, uh, I'm seeing a lot of those giant swirling flocks of starlings and then the twisting elongated flocks of blackbirds. And it's really neat to see those. The other day driving along, every red-tailed hawk apparently decided that was a day to go out and perch in a leafless tree because hmm. they were just everywhere. So they must have all gotten hungry at the same time. And the leafless tree, I suppose, gave them a nice view from every direction where they could find that uh, delectable vole or whatever they were looking for down there. So, And I know, uh, Karen, that you're hoping they catch every vole that they possibly can. (laughs) Yes, please. uh, Because they, uh, they, and they feed on a lot of voles. So that's just one of those, one of those things where they need to get out there and find something to eat. They're not successful uh, on every hunting attempt. Far from it. They miss far more than they catch. So it gives every little critter hope that they might get away from these big birds coming out of the sky. And you can just think of the little vole going down the, the happy vole trail, and all of a sudden there's a shadow overhead, which is never a good sign when you're a vole. So uh, bad things happen when big shadows come <laughs> over your head. I hope that everybody will come to the cafe where the food chain is missing a few links, the special is always a Heimlich maneuver, and gravy's considered a beverage, and now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food and real cup holders where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet. Well, hardly any. 
Big day here at the Bat Cave. My wife bought a new toaster. Uh oh. Yeah, you don't go into things like that lightly, you know. But parts were falling off our old one. When the toast popped up, bits of the toaster popped off. And one of the bits really would fly quite a distance. So sometimes you had to kind of hunt around to find it. I'm not sure how many miles of toast our old appliance had on it. It should have like a toast odometer. Well, I ate at a cafe the other day. I had toast in memory of our old toaster. I have a decent appetite. You know, I grew up when hard work led to good food. So if we can convince ourselves we've been working hard, we go and get some good food and we get a bunch of it. The young man seated next to me ordered a country fried steak just drenched in gravy. For his two sides, he got two sides with each of those dinner specials, he chose french fries and mashed potatoes. He licked the plate clean, then he had pie and ice cream. Maybe he'd been fasting before he began feasting, but I'm betting there are six words that teenager has never heard before. Are you going to finish that? (laughs) (laughs) Remember, folks, Heartland is while we're driving past. Thanks for listening. Uh, Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Thank you, Karen. As always, I appreciate your company and appreciate all um, all these things we do together. Thank you, Al. It's always great to chat with you, and I hope you stay warm the rest of the week and just uh, enjoy the rest of what's left of fall. I will do that. Thanks, Karen. Bye-bye.